0: Thank you, Kendra and Robin, for that ministry of music. This morning, I'm going to talk to you about behavior that's appropriate for a Christian. And as I raise that topic, I wonder what comes to your mind. What are we going to discuss this morning? Behavior that's appropriate for a Christian. What are we going to talk about? Dancing. Dancing. Playing cards. The kind of car that you should drive. Or the fact you shouldn't drive a car at all. I really don't think those things came to mind. I hope they didn't. Because there is much more important things in the Christian life. And it's really, really essential that we focus on what is essential in the Christian life. So this morning we're going to look at appropriate behavior. But appropriate behavior as it's given to us in Philippians chapter 1, actually primarily verses 27 to 30. Notice verse 27 is the key verse. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now I have chosen to, to use the word appropriate to talk about this aspect of behavior that is worthy of the gospel. If you have a, a King James, it will read, only let your conversation or conduct be as it becomes the gospel of Christ. So we really find out that this, this word has two emphases. And they are represented in those two different Translations. Appropriate in that our behavior is consistent with the gospel. What kind of behavior is consistent with the gospel that we profess and the gospel we proclaim? How do we live consistently with that profession? And the second is, what behavior is appropriate in that our behavior adorns the gospel? Commends the gospel to someone else. Sees the gospel as a beautiful influence in our lives. So what is the appropriate behavior that is consistent with the gospel and also adorns the gospel is our consideration together this morning. So if you would look with me at Philippians chapter one, as we look at the characteristics of behavior that is appropriate to the gospel. First, the first characteristic of behavior that is appropriate to the gospel is an unshakable commitment to Jesus Christ. An unshakable commitment to Jesus Christ. And as Paul writes this letter, he begins this section with an admonition. And that is, we need to be unshakable in our commitment to Christ, whether our spiritual leader is present or absent. We need to be unshakable in our commitment to Jesus Christ, whether our spiritual leader is present or absent. Look with me at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, now these words, so that whether I come and see you, or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Paul is concerned. That in his absence, they don't wander, but rather that they stand firm. Paul's presence is important to the well being of the Philippian church, to be sure, and he acknowledges that fact. As a matter of fact, it is so important, Paul's relationship to this church, that he believes, based on that, Aspect alone that his presence is really needed in Philippi that he expects that he's going to be released from prison. Look at verses 21 and following. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose. While I am hard pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better, yet to remain on in the flesh... Is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, namely, that it's more necessary for your sake, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith. So Paul says, I know you need me, and because you need me, I'm pretty assured that God is going to spare my life and allow me to return to you. However, Having said that, they must maintain their commitment to Christ no matter what. Whether Paul is present or not. Notice the bookends to this discussion. Look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Whether I am there or not, you need to remain faithful to the things of God. Now, usually, there is a tendency when people read the Bible to always want to run to personal application. To say, okay, now what does this mean for my life? And oftentimes, it is just that. Me individually. Me as myself. Okay? Not about other people, about me. What, how does this affect me? And so, we can easily go to such applications as a young person goes off to college. uh, When they are out from under mom and dad's eyesight. When they're no longer regularly attending the church. Whether or not the spiritual leader is present or absent, that young person needs to remain faithful to God. It'd be easy to go down that road and make those applications. however, the passage that is before us emphasizes the corporate level. Notice verse 27. Only conduct yourselves, plural, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, plural, you don't know that, but it is, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together, together, together. It's talking about the relationships that exist among God's people. He's talking about us corporately. Paul is writing to a church. And he's addressing the church. And he says to the church, it's important that you stand firm in the Gospel whether I am there or not. Churches often experience problems when the spiritual leaders are absent, churches often go through division and strife when the pastor resides. You don't have to look around too far, you don't have to delve the depths to know very well that you can look at churches that have been without pastors for a period of time. And see that they have split, large numbers have left, and they are going their own way. Charles Spurgeon, many of you know that name, and realize that when he preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, that there were about 5,000 congregants. That's incredible in the 1800s. 5,000 people. In the city of London coming together to hear the word of God. What a tremendous work of God. What people don't often think about. Is that shortly after his death. The metropolitan tabernacle dwindled to a few hundred people. Five thousand. To a few hundred. What in the world went wrong? What happened? What happened? Well, strife and division is what happened. Because Spurgeon was off the scene. Let me give you just one example of the strife and division that happened at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. Spurgeon was absolutely convinced that there shouldn't be an organ in a worship service. Because, you got to remember, we're in the 1800s. And he viewed that as entertainment. He viewed that as associated with the theater. We don't want that in the church. He was adamant. And as long as he lived, there was no organ in the church. At the very first board meeting, at the very first board meeting, after Spurgeon died, you know what they voted to do? Purchase an organ. Purchase an organ. And the fights started. And they only escalated from there. We need to be unshakable in our commitment to Jesus Christ, whether the spiritual leader is present or not. Next, we need to be unshakable in our commitment to Christ and his church by remaining steadfast. Verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a matter worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or remain absent. Now here's the next thought. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Standing firm in one spirit. Holding your ground. Don't let the enemy get a foothold. Allow the spirit of God to work. Remember that Paul is primarily writing to a healthy church, but a church that is not without its problems. If you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. As this theme is picked up again. Isaiah chapter 4, excuse me, Philippians chapter 4. Verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see my joy in crown, so stand firm in the Lord. Exact same idea. My beloved, I urge Udia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. They are not getting along. They are not cooperating. And the implication is, if Paul were present... They would be getting along. Notice Philippians 4.2. I urge Iodia. These are Paul's words. I myself urge Eodia and Syntyche. Now think about this for a moment. Paul's in prison. He hears about two women in the church who can't get along. He writes a public letter in which he calls these two women by name. Not that, you know, I heard there, are, there might be some difficulties there. Or a little bird told me that, that maybe there needs to be some repentance. No, he says, you know, and Syntyche, I am urging you. He doesn't say to the church, you urge them. He says, I urge them with the hope that if Paul urges them, they'll do it. For notice what else he says. Verse 3. Indeed, true comrade, I ask you to help these women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel, together with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. These are Paul's fellow workers. These are people who had ministered with him in the gospel. What was it that they weren't getting on about? I have no clue. There's not a hint of it in the text. Can't tell you what the disagreement is about. But I can tell you that it was dishonoring to God. And I can tell you that it arose because Paul wasn't there. When he was there, they're working together in harmony. When he's gone, all of a sudden, this strife breaks out. So, next, we need to be unshakable in our commitment to Christ and one another as a believing community. Notice Philippians 1 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, and now these words, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. That's an interesting phrase. Striving together. Working hard together. Peace and unity is hard. It requires work. It requires effort. It requires a humility, a mind and spirit. For notice, he says in verse 27, that they be of one mind striving together. What is that one mind? Well, it's the mind of Christ. It's the mind of a servant. Look at Philippians two. 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Now, he broadens and says the same mind. That that you all think the same way. And, in that thinking the same way, ultimately, you're thinking the way of Christ. Verse 2. Make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Maintaining the same love. United in spirit. Intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look at your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ. So, we're to have one mind that's reflected in two ways. First, we are to have a common bond in Christ. Philippians 2.1 If there are if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. If there is any truth, Paul is saying in verse one, to Jesus Christ. If there really is any consolation of love, if there really is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there really is any compassion or infection, then get along. If the things we say about brotherly love are true, then there shouldn't be strife and discord among us. Our commitment to one another flows out of our commitment to Jesus Christ. We are to have a common bond in Him, and then we're to have a common goal. Look at verse 2. Making my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Intent on one purpose. One reason for existence. One reason for a church to still be here on this earth. One reason that we should all get along. One reason that we need to stand firm in our commitment to Jesus Christ and to one another. One reason. What is it? What is it? Look at verse 27. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The faith of the gospel. It's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we're committed to the gospel, we should be committed to one another. And if we're committed to the gospel, we should be concerned about our conduct and what it does in relationship to the gospel. Notice how this same admonition is repeated in the close of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. We're really in the heart of of what Paul wants to get across to us. for We we see it in the way in which he introduces and closes with the thought. So again, Philippians chapter 4, starting with verse 1. Paul said they were to stand firm in his absence. So in verse 1, he says, Therefore, in conclusion, My beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord. Remember, he said they were to strive together with one mind. Look at verse 2. I urge Judea, Judea and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony. The purpose, the gospel, Verse 3, indeed, true comrade. I ask you to help those women who have shared my struggle in the cause of the gospel. Paul calls them back and says, you know, Iodica and Syntyche, I remember a time when the most important thing to you was the gospel of Jesus Christ. What happened to that? Where did that go? Why are you allowing this division to come simply because I'm not there? Because I can't continue to focus your attention on the gospel of Jesus Christ. When Paul was there, he had the church motivated as they were following his example and his vision of reaching a lost world. And they were on board with it. But when Paul left, other things started to creep in. And Paul calls them back and says, you need to stand firm. You need to strive together. You need to iron out your differences and recognize that the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're committed to the gospel, then you're committed to each other. And you're committed to the church. Any other issues in the church should be secondary. We should see how church splits hinder the gospel of Christ. The work goes backwards. And not only does it hinder the gospel of Christ, it dishonors the gospel of Christ. God's name is not honored through church splits. Second one, the second characteristic of behavior that's appropriate to the gospel is a fearlessness in our commitment to Christ. an unshakable commitment to Christ now, fearlessness in our commitment to Christ." Philippians: 128: "In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you and that too from God. We are not to be afraid of those who oppose the gospel. Verse 28, in no way alarmed by our opponents. NIV translates this, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Don't let your naysayers, don't let your opponents cause you to be afraid. In any way. And there are two primary ways then that he addresses that their opponents can cause them to be afraid. The first is, don't let your opponents frighten you that you are wrong in your commitment to the gospel. That you are wrong in your commitment to the gospel. Just because people are giving you a hard time about what you believe, don't let that change what you believe. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things, again, is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and the glory of Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So here we find out that one of the things that evidently had been... Gone to enter the church was the whole Judaizing aspect of whether or not a person needed to be circumcised. And there were some that were doubting their own relationship to Jesus Christ. There were some that were beginning to question whether or not that, that they, in fact, were right with God without being circumcised. So Paul writes to them and says, hey, it doesn't mean a thing. And then he gives his own testimony. How he was circumcised didn't mean anything. Don't let people dissuade you from the truth of the gospel. Don't let them make you afraid about your own relationship to Jesus Christ by their opposition. Hang in there. Stay true to the word of God. Don't let their opposition move you. And then the second way is by being frightened as to what may happen to us in our adherence to the gospel. What it might cost us. Physically. Emotionally. Philippians 2, nine, Philippians 2.9. Just showing you how the whole book fits together. Therefore also God highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name which is above every name, For the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of those which are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying work at your salvation. He's saying have the outworking of your salvation. Let it be seen. Let it have its effect. Even in fear and trembling. Even though you may be scared. Of your opposers. Hang in there. Even if you meet opposition. Even if you meet persecution. Even if you may be like me in prison, hang in there. Because that is appropriate. That is right. That's consistent with the gospel. And it adorns the gospel. The fact that we are not afraid of those who oppose the gospel provides a powerful witness against them. Look at verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them. The fact that we are not dismayed. The fact that we are not silenced. The fact that we don't fear them is a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed. The fact that we are not afraid of those who oppose the gospel provides a powerful witness for ourselves. Verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, and then for us, a salvation for you. So that too from God. The fact that we are not afraid of those who oppose the gospel is a demonstration of God at work in us and in the world. Look at verse 28. In no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. From God. Our personal struggles are in keeping with the great cataclysmic struggle between good and evil, God and Satan. And we're to see in Christ's victory our own victory. That's why he talks about the fact that Jesus Christ is risen, and that every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Victory is coming! So hang in there. Don't let them scare you. Because you're going to triumph. And in standing firm, it bears witness against them and it encourages your own heart. Now, lest this sound too ethereal to you, let me show you a passage in Scripture that illustrates these thoughts perfectly. Turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. As we look at a scenario in which we see lived out this kind of commitment to the gospel that does everything that that Paul is talking about here in terms of condemning others and reassuring their own hearts. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 34. This is talking about Peter and the other apostles and the opposition that they were face, faced by the Jewish leaders. Turn at verse 34. But a certain Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. So they're, they, they're having a, a, a tribunal. They're, they're having really a council together to say, what are they going to do about about Peter and these others? And Gamaliel says, take them outside because I have something I want to say to you that I want them to hear. And so they take them outside. Verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care of what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Judas rose up, claiming to be a somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined with him. And he was slain. And all who followed him were dispersed. And came to nothing. After this man. Judas of Galilee. Rose up in the days of the census. And drew away some people after him. He too perished. And all who followed him. Were scattered. And so in the present case. I say to you. Stay away from these men. And let them alone. For if this plan or action should be of men. It will be overthrown. But if it be of God. You will not be able to overthrow them or else you may even be found finding, fighting against God. Let them alone. Time will tell. These other men who followed somebody that was dead, now well, they're dispersed and we never hear about them again. Now they're following this one that they say is dead and rose again. Let's give them some time. Let's watch. Let's see what happens. Verse 40. They took his advice. After calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Flogged them. Beat them. With them, laid their backs open and raw, and ordered them to speak no more in the name of Jesus, and then released them. Notice that was the opposition. Notice them standing firm. Verse forty-one. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered. What's the next word? Worthy. Worthy. To suffer for his name. Conduct which is worthy of the gospel. They were rejoicing that they had identified with Jesus Christ. And their lives and their witness was so powerful. That they were willing to go to this extent to try to silence them. They were rejoicing. Marvelous thought, we'll come back to it. And notice, they continued proclamation and and adorning the gospel. Verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus Christ. Had no effect. They continued, continued on. The gospel was going forward. Notice the third characteristic of behavior that is suitable to the gospel. is a willingness to suffer on account of the command commitment to Christ. A willingness to suffer on our account of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Notice Philippians 129. Philippians 129. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not Only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his name's sake. So, some observations from that phrase. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. First, suffering and salvation go hand in hand. We should not consider it strange if we are saved and we also suffer. The gospel of Jesus Christ has thoroughly been corrupted in our day and age. We need to understand that so that we stand firm in the Gospel. Somehow, somehow, I don't know how in the world, but somehow, in modern day Christendom, the idea has come that God never wants anybody to suffer. That you must be out of the will of God if you're ill. You don't have enough faith if you have difficulties or hardship in your life. If you are pleasant enough, and are kind enough in your gospel witness, you will never experience opposition or have people denounce you or turn away. The scripture says, it has been granted to you for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Actually, Salvation and suffering go hand in hand. That's why Paul writes and says, don't let anybody move you. Don't let anybody sway you. Don't let anybody say to you that your commitment to Jesus Christ is not real or valid or you would never be experiencing this suffering. And so they've got another message for you. They have another message for you. Don't go there. Don't go there. Don't buy into it. It's false. The health and wealth gospel is false. Secondly, more amazingly, suffering for Christ is to be seen as a gift. Let me say that again. Suffering for Christ is to be seen as a gift. Verse 29. For to you it has been granted... For Christ's sake. Granted. The word implies a blessing. A privilege. A gift. You have been granted the privilege and gift of suffering for Jesus Christ. Now you say, how in the world... How in the world can I ever view suffering as a gift? Well, in these ways. First, it is a gift, it's a privilege, because it speaks of our standing with Christ. Thus, we are not just to see suffering as inevitable, but suffering actually as a good thing. Remember the words of Acts, chapter 5. So when they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing when they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for Jesus Christ, they went away rejoicing. Why? Because this was a real mark of their godliness. A real mark of their commitment to Jesus Christ if anyone will live godly in Christ Jesus they shall you know the end of that suffer persecution suffer persecution if we've never known any opposition we have to really ask ourselves how godly have we lived how much have we really stood up for our faith if nobody ever seems to have any problem with us, how bold are we? How much do we speak out? Rejoice, because it's a mark of our identification with Jesus Christ. Secondly, suffering is a gift because of the spiritual understanding that it brings. Turn to Philippians 3 8. You see, all this is going to be unpacked more and more in Philippians. Philippians 3.8. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through the faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Now these words, that I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. The relationship to Christ and his sufferings. When we suffer for Christ... We begin to understand Christ's sufferings for us. We begin to understand that commitment. We begin to understand that greatness. And there's a a preciousness and a joy that comes as we become more dependent upon Him. You know. The Christians today, they're being persecuted. And there are still places around this, this earth, places on this globe where people are still dying for their faith. And you know what they're not, You know what they're not talking about? They're not talking about dancing, and they're not talking about playing cards, and they're not talking about what kind of car you drive. Those issues mean nothing. When your life is on the line... For trusting in Jesus Christ. And when your life is on the line for trusting in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, boy, you have an appreciation for this brother or sister over here who are in the same boat. Whose life is on the line because they're trusting in Jesus Christ. All of a sudden, the big picture is in view. And Paul's writing to them and said, Man, Somehow you got off the track. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Thirdly, suffering for Christ to be seen as a source of conflicting desires. Verse 30. Experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. The same conflict. What's that conflict? What's that struggle going on in Paul's heart and mind? What is it that he says, you saw in me and now here to be in me, and you too are going to come to know and experience. Well, back to Philippians 1:20. There is a desire to glorify God, whether it be by life or by death verse 20. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I should not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. There is the expressed desire to be free from this world's trials and to know the bliss of heaven which is far better. Verse 21 For me to live is Christ to die is gain. To die is gain. When we're sold out for Jesus Christ and we are suffering persecution by dying is gain. Dying is something to look forward to. If somebody's beating you mercilessly, you want to die. I can't tell you the number of people, I can tell you the most recent person, The most recent person was Doug Dean. He said, Pastor, I just want to go home. He just wanted to be free from all the pains, all the struggles. I'm ready to die. He wanted to go home. I understand that. I think you understand it. Paul says, suffering is a gift. But given my druthers, I'd much rather be in the presence of God. I'd much rather that they just take my life. Paul says, on the one hand, as he sits in prison after having suffered shipwreck, after having gone through all the beatings. You now, when you go to Second Corinthians, it's, it's pretty amazing the life that he's lived and all the troubles and hardships he has. He's a weak and beaten man. And he sits in prison and says, you know, I'd rather die. I'd rather die. Verse 22. But if I am to live on in the flesh... This will mean fruitful labor for me. I don't know which to choose. That's the conflict. That's the conflict. Paul says, you know, I really don't know what to pray for. On the one hand, I just want to go home and be with the Lord. And on the other hand, there's more for me here to do. But he knows it's associated with pain and suffering and hardship. So what should he do? Pray that he goes home and be with the Lord? Or prays that he would continue on and be released and go through more of this suffering and persecution and the headaches of the church? Verse 23. I am hard pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the On in the flesh is more necessary for you. And so, he decides, having said that, I'm in a wrong place here. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you. Convinced of this. Convinced it's better, not for me, but for you, I will continue on, for it's more necessary for you. What an attitude towards suffering! I don't know anybody who enjoys suffering. You have to be some kind of masochist to endure uh, to enjoy suffering. Nobody wants to suffer. What? The willingness to suffer. If that's what's required. If that's required. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 4 verse 12, I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having endurance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, in conclusion, the first characteristic of behavior that is appropriate to the gospel is an unshakable commitment to Jesus Christ. An unshakable commitment to Christ that manifests itself. An unshakable commitment to his people and his church. The most crucial thing in the life of our church is faithfulness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the one thing we all ought to be worried about. That's the one thing that we should all have in common that the most important thing about a church is that it preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number two, if it's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, then stay there, be active, and adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't let secondary issues become primary issues. It dishonors God, it hinders The gospel going forward, it provides opportunities for others to degrade the glory of Jesus Christ. The second characteristic of behavior that is appropriate to the gospel is a fearlessness in our commitment to that gospel. We aren't going to be worried about what people from within supposedly have to offer. When we hear false representations of the gospel, we won't be moved by it. Just as Paul's going to warn against those circumcisers. Just as today, you can turn on the radio this afternoon and hear the wealth and health gospel. Don't be moved by it, don't be shaken by it. Don't say to yourself, You know, I must not be a Christian if I have these trials and difficulties in my life. Don't go there. Don't go there. And don't be afraid of those that are going to oppose you. Don't be afraid. Because this Jesus Christ has died, he's risen again, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The worst they can do is take your life. And if they take it, you're going to be in the very presence of God which is a sign to them of their own destruction. Why don't these people fear death? Because they're thinking, I sure do. Why won't these people be silenced if they're put in prison? Because I wouldn't speak. Gamaliel got it right. Gamaliel said, you know that Thudius? He had 400 followers. But after he was dead and gone, they all disbanded. There was no reason. There was no reason to keep on. There was no reason to follow that other person in Judea. But what about Jesus Christ? He's dead and he's risen again. That's the gospel. If you're committed to that truth, there's nothing to fear. And I say that as a person who's a huge scaredy cat. I'm preaching to myself. But I know the frailty of mankind. I know that you and I are both going to die. It's not like we have a choice. Are we going to live forever or are we going to die? We're all going to die. We're all going to die. So the choice is, am I going to die in a way that honors and glorifies Him? Or am I going to go die in a way that dishonors Him? Am I going to suffer with an arm raised and say, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through hardship. I don't want to go through this misery. And blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. Or are you going to say, God, this is hard, but help me to see this as a gift. Help me to see how that through this I'm drawing closer to you. Help me to see how that through this I have the opportunity to advance in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which was last week's sermon. Help me to see how I have the privilege of being able to glorify you. To reveal you to others. As I experience the same grace that I experienced in salvation and now experience in suffering. God will enable you, if you call upon him, to suffer and to suffer well. So the third characteristic of behavior that is suitable to the gospel in this is a willingness to suffer on the account of our commitment to Jesus Christ. Suffer in our personal relationships. Suffer in our personal relationships. Paul's going to get very practical in chapter 2. Getting along, getting along. You know, sometimes getting along in church means suffering. Sometimes people say some pretty ungracious things. Sometimes decisions are made that perhaps shouldn't be made. And if we want to come up with a list of gripes and grievances, we probably can So when we're talking about suffering, we're not talking about this in some ethereal way. We're saying, you know, the unity of the church and its commitment to to the gospel is more important than these other issues. I'm not going to let it bug me. I'm not going to fight about it. It's Bergen's Day, whether it's an organ or not an organ, we're not going to worry about it. We're not going to fight about it. We're not going to fight about the way we do worship. We're not going to fight about the way committees are appointed. We're not going to fight about how people come dressed to the church service. We're not going to fight about what hymns we've chosen. We're not going to fight about that stuff. Because there's something more important. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're committed to that. And it's the only thing that really matters. Let's pray. Our Father, help us. Help us to have conduct that is suitable, appropriate, worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us to see that that conduct is commitment to Jesus Christ no matter what. Whether the spiritual leader is present or absent, we remain faithful to you. Lord, may we have a fearlessness as we adopt such an approach. Understanding its ramifications, understanding its issues. And Lord, help us to see suffering is actually to be a privilege. Part and parcel with our salvation. It goes hand in hand. And Lord, help us to be willing to suffer whether that be in huge ways of persecution or in small ways of simply not getting our own way, Lord, may we see a bigger, more important picture of the furthering of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, help us to stand firm together, striving together with one mind, intent On one purpose. To your honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.